This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to please open the Bible to Revelation chapter 1. This morning we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16 in the book of Revelation. Last Sunday, I asked you, if you would, to pray specifically for my daughter, Emma, because she was scheduled to have a swallowing test. That test was conducted Wednesday, and overall, it went well. Uh, It was confirmed through the test, Emma is swallowing. It's still slow. Uh, From the moment the, the food hits her tongue, it still takes a few seconds before the reflex begins, but it is clearly there. So we were encouraged by the doctors and the therapists to stay on the path that we are on. Uh, Probably not wise to give her anything that is less thick than pudding because she did aspirate a little bit on some of the thinner liquids. But However, we do rejoice because it's clear she is swallowing. And that's a good step certainly in the direction we want to be going. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, We are greatly, greatly appreciative of them. We're continuing this series entitled Getting to Know You as we are exploring who Jesus is. It's common that when we hear something so frequently, we begin to take it for granted or assume that we know everything about that subject. And certainly when it comes to Christmas, certainly when it comes to the names of Jesus that are associated with the celebration of his birth, names like Emmanuel, it's very easy for us to sit back and say, we know it means God with us. But this morning I want us to think about exactly what that means. The name Emmanuel is a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7 through the prophet. Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz, Ahaz who was doubting God's ability to deliver them in the midst of a battle with Israel and Syria. And Isaiah said to Ahaz, since you have feigned piety by saying you wouldn't ask God for a sign, even though God said to ask him for a sign, God's going to give you one. Before the virgin shall give birth, you shall conquer. And the child born to this virgin shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. As the Holy Spirit led Matthew as he penned his gospel, Matthew in verse 23 of chapter 1 said that the birth of Jesus was to fulfill this prophecy given 700 years earlier. Now the question I lay before us today is, was that prophecy Only fulfilled historically. In other words, as we think about the meaning of God with us, does that mean, well, for that moment of time, for that period of 33 years in which Jesus walked the earth, can we say that was all about Emmanuel over and done? Or is there a present tense Emmanuel? Where you and I as followers of Jesus Christ can say, God is still with us. 
And if the answer is present tense, God is with us. Then what does that look like? What does it mean to say that God is with us? Does Emmanuel mean something like Jesus is just a token, much like the dashboard Jesus that was sung about by Carly Pierce in the year 2020 when she wrote a country song saying, everybody says she's dreaming. Call her crazy for believing. Sometimes all you really need is $50 and a dashboard Jesus. Does God with us mean he's just some token like a rabbit's foot that's there for good luck? Is that all Emmanuel means? Or does Emmanuel mean he's like a big brother? And I mean George Orwellian big brother. Always there watching. Better not mess up. Because he's aware there becomes a heaviness with the idea of Emmanuel. This morning I hope to give you good news of good tidings. That God is indeed still with us. And that the meaning of Emmanuel is one of comfort and hope. And in order to understand the present tense meaning of Emmanuel, I wanted us to look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. John has just been given a command. A voice spoke to him, a voice that was like a loud trumpet that said to him, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. We pick up in verse 12. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of one of the the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This gives us insight into what Emmanuel means. And where I want to start with is this, the meaning of Emmanuel is that Jesus is with us now. You see this in verses 12 through 13. When John turns to see who is speaking to him, notice that he says that he sees seven golden lampstands. Later in this chapter in verse 20, we are given insight into what the lampstands represent. For it says at the end of verse 20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, the seven churches are representative of God's people. Because as I said last week, churches will go through different periods in their life expanse upon this earth. Times where we will experience part of what all the seven churches who received this first letter went through. So when we are told in verse 12 that Jesus is among the lampstands, it is a way of saying that he is amongst us now. And in verse 13, we see the description that he is one like a son of man. Son of man is a phrase that refers to Jesus' humanity. We firmly believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. 
And the phrase son of man speaks of one born of a human, one that is fully human, flesh and blood, just as we are. Yet it also points to something more. The phrase is used in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So you have one who is a human standing before the Ancient of Days. And notice in verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 14 tells us that this son of man standing before God is something more than just a man. For he is one that is deity. The language of an everlasting kingdom is the language of everlasting God. So verse 14 is the recognition of the deity of the one who is the son of man. Not just a God, but the God. Fully human and fully God. In verse 14, the description given there where it says that his hairs, the hairs of his head were, like, were white, like white wool, like snow. His feet were like a flame of fire. Go back to the ancient of days himself. So the description given of the Son of Man is a description given of God. For example, look on the left is Daniel 7, 9. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was pure like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Now look at Revelation 1.14 on the right. The hairs of his head were white like white wool. The same description of the Ancient of Days. Who is the one standing in the middle of the churches? It is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as I have said, Jesus is in the midst of his churches. He is here, present now. But that begs a question. A question of logic. How can Jesus be with his churches when he ascended to heaven in bodily form... And is seated at the right hand of God. Remember, one of the limitations that Jesus took upon himself when he came to earth is that he ceased to be omnipresent. He was located in one place, walking, whether it be in Galilee, Nazareth, or Jerusalem. But now he has ascended and now we read that he is in the middle of his people. So how is he with us? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's what John, Jesus spoke about as recorded in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now the word helper means paraclete. That's the Greek word. It means one who comes alongside to give aid. But it's the word another that I draw your attention to. For in the Greek, there are two words that mean another. 
One word means I'm going to get another, but it's going to be of a completely different kind. So say you're seated at Christmas dinner, and you have just finished all that ham and, and potatoes and all that good stuff, and you go get dessert. And the dessert's good, but you know what? There were multiple desserts. You had chocolate cake, you had coconut pie, you had apple pie, and it's like, I can't get them all. So you eat some chocolate cake, and you say, I'm going to go get another. But what you mean is I'm going to get another type of dessert. I'm going to try me some chocolate pie this time. The other word for another means of the same kind. You just finished your chocolate cake and you say, I think I'll have another. And what you mean is another slice of chocolate cake, same kind. The word another here, another that is used here means of the same kind. Jesus is saying he'll give you a helper that is me, just like me, deity. In the spirit, Jesus is with his churches. No matter where that church is, he is here today through the spirit of God. Now there are ramifications of this. If God is present with us, which I believe he is, then that means simply this. Because God is with us, he is the authority in our church and in our lives. The question we face today is really one of authority. To whom will we listen? The world around us tells us, listen to your heart. Follow your inclinations. But God tells us that as followers of Him, we are to do just that and follow Him. And that's often where the battle comes. Ray Ortland was writing about this when he said that, quote, accepting Jesus means firing the committee in your heart. See, whether we realize it or not, we have a committee within us. Every time we are faced with a decision or a desire, there is the, the social self that sits at the table that argues for what will make you popular. There is the private self who argues for what you deep down want. There is the work self who argues for what will put you up the corporate ladder. There is the recreational self that argues for what you really want to do that you will enjoy. There is the religious self that argues, well, what would God want you to do in this moment that would appear good to others? And that committee is arguing and debating and voting and constantly agitated and upset and rarely is there a unanimous decision among that committee because we are divided that's where God comes in and says there is no committee there is only one chairman and I'm him do we hear the authority of God in our lives are you following his lead the decisions that we face, do we recognize that God is not just with us and among us here as we gather today, but child of God, He is with you every moment of your life, in every way. Are you listening to His voice? And When you begin to think, I don't know if I have the strength to obey God, for sometimes following Him is indeed costly. Guess what? Because God is with us, we are empowered for life. That's one of the images that comes out of this. The image of, of fire coming at the throne. The image of the spirit that is at work within us. It's like the power of a dam that is released. 
When a dam is being built and a river is being dammed up, because the water is necessary for the crops on down the stream, there will be trickles of water. But when the dam is completed, the full rush of water is released so that there is now not only water to provide what the valley needs, there is now power that is applied there. Don't doubt God's ability and power to supply what you and I need for life. When you feel weak, you're exactly where God wants you to be. Because when we are weak, then He is strong. That's why Paul wrote, I would rather glory in my weakness rather than boast about my strength. For my strength is limited, but in my weakness I rely on the strength of God that is unlimited. And therefore, because God is with us, we have hope in the midst of trials. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with life? You ever hit those moments where you think, Lord, I can't take it anymore. How many even this morning getting ready to come to church thought, I can't do this. But I've got good news for you today. The problems of life will not overwhelm you or overcome you because God is able. The problems seem big, but I want you to remember that God is bigger. One of the emblems of Christmas celebrations in the United States is the Christmas tree. And perhaps one of the better known Christmas trees in all the world is the one that is placed at Rockefeller Center in New York City. This tree is absolutely massive. The one that was erected this year stands 82 feet tall. 82 feet tall. It's 50 feet wide and weighs 14 tons. That's a big tree. You're not putting that on top of the family station wagon to bring home. As massive as that is, take a look at it now. When you look at the buildings around it, how tall does that tree seem? Let your problems stand next to God and see how big they seem. Remember that God is always bigger than whatever issues you and I face. And that when we feel overwhelmed, step back for a moment and remember that God is with us. That in the Spirit, the problems we face are simply challenges that will bring glory to His name. Therefore, fear not. The awesomeness of God overwhelms the problems that we face. This brings up another issue. If we think about the awesomeness of God, the question comes up then, well, who are we to be in the presence of God? Who are we to say that God is with us? Well, that's where we get to the next meaning of Emmanuel. Jesus is our priest. That's how we are able to say that God is with us. I'll notice, or draw your attention to verse 13. That once we establish that the Son of Man dwelling in the midst of the churches is indeed God in the flesh, notice how He is clothed. He is wearing a long robe with a golden sash around His chest. This is the garb of a priest. This is what the priest wears as he does his duty. Now I would remind you that the role of the priest was to represent the people before God. To make sacrifice and intercession on behalf of the people who needed to be right with God. But the priest also did other tasks. He 
You see, we tend to think of the priest as only making sacrifices or praying for us. But I would remind you that in the temple, the priest also acted as the custodian. And one of the responsibilities of the priest was to be sure that the candle that burned before the altar of God was always trimmed and ready to go and had an ample supply of olive oil to burn. Notice where the priest is standing. In the midst of the lampstands. So it tells us that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is tending the church. He is tending so that you and I will burn brightly. He is tending us so that you and I will be a light shining. Now in this work, what it means is that because God is with us, He corrects and he commends. That's how he tends. He corrects. You see an example of that as you start reading into chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. He corrects, for example, to Ephesus. He says, you're doing some good things, but you have left your first love. He is correcting. To the church at Smyrna, he commends to them. He says, you are being faithful even though you are at the place where the very seed of Satan resides. Don't fear, just be faithful. To Laodicea, he corrects. You are lukewarm, warm up. He does this for his churches and his people. You see, just as God is with us, his spirit corrects and commends. So the question is, are we willing to listen to that? Are we willing to hear the voice of the Spirit? Because I want to tell you, church, He does both. There are times where indeed He corrects us. And there are times where He will commend us. Are we open to that? I've shared with you before that I've become addicted to the game of golf. I think my wife is getting me a membership in Golfers Anonymous, seeking that I might get some help. One of the things that I've found out is that when you start taking on golf as more than a hobby, you are anxious to learn. You want to play with people that are are better than you, and you want to say, are there any, any tips you can give me? Can you show me how to stop slicing the ball? How do I read a green? Tell me, what do I need to do? Because I want to be better than I am. And when you're playing with someone that's better than you and they give you correction, you listen to it. But then when they commend you, oh, I'm not as bad as I thought. You know why we listen to that? Because we desire to be better than we are. Do we listen to the Spirit in the same way? Do we desire to be more of what God wants us to be? Are we willing to listen? Even at those moments when God needs to correct us. And I know sometimes we talk about that still, soft voice of the Spirit. But I want to tell you, my experience has been, when I need correction, the Spirit shouts. The question is, do I listen? Do you listen? And even when we need commending. See, the Spirit's not just about correction. Because there are times we get in a cycle where we beat ourselves up. How horrible am I? How could I do that? Do you hear the Spirit saying, you are not horrible. I have adopted you. You are mine. You are loved. You see, the Spirit does both. Are we willing to listen to His correction and His commendation? 
The meaning of Emmanuel is that he is not only with us, not only is he our priest, but Jesus is the return of God's glory. Look at verse 15. Gives this description of his feet burnished with bronze, refined in a furnace. Once again, the throne of the ancient of days is described in such ways, but I draw your attention to the latter part of verse 15. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Now, it's easy to read that and start thinking, well, all that means is his voice is real deep. It's like the voice of Darth Vader, except he's nice. But it has much more meaning than that. I'd ask you when you read that phrase, his voice was like the roar of many waters, to consider Ezekiel 1.24. Ezekiel sees a vision of the throne of God. It's, it is supported on the backs of cherubim, and it's described as these have these wheels that are gyroscopic, meaning the throne of God goes anywhere and everywhere. Nothing can stop it. And he says that when the angels, these cherubim went, when the throne was moving, he heard the sound of their wings. And what did the wings sound like? The sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty. A sound like a torment, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. So this sound of mighty rushing waters is associated with the throne of God. God's presence. You see, what happens after this is that Ezekiel has this vision of the throne, the presence of God, leaving the temple. The throne of God departs and says, Ichabod, curse, is written over it because the people had turned their backs upon God. And it's this vision of hopelessness. God, if your presence isn't with us, we are doomed. But then there is glorious good news. Because in the latter part of the book, in Ezekiel 43.2, Ezekiel looks to the east and he says, Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. In other words, the glory leaves and then the glory returns. And I think that what John is telling us that in Jesus, the glory has returned. The glory of God has come. It is dwelling within us. It is giving us the hope that we desire that the king has indeed come and the glory of God has come among his people because how are the people of God described? As the temple of God. The glory of God has come in Jesus Christ. And that reminds us of this glorious hope. We find fulfillment in Him. You see, Ezekiel grieved because he knew that when the glory of God left, the people would be left empty. The glory of God promises all that we long for. Not just this transcendent sense of awe that we need in our lives, but the sense of love, joy, peace that we so desperately long for. That we all do. Perhaps one of the best known Christmas songs came out in December of 1941. I bet if you closed your eyes, you could hear the voice of Bing Crosby crooning, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. That song became immensely popular because it was published, it was released in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor. When America knew it was now at war. And expressed a longing for home. But there's an even greater story behind that song. The song was composed by Irving Berlin. 
And he kept it hidden for many years because it was born out of grief. In 1928, he and his wife had buried their son. And he wrote that song at Christmas time to talk about a dream he had, really of a day when death would be no more, when the wrongs of this world would be set right. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Isn't that the longings we have? Not for stuff. You see, the stuff simply masks the real desires of our hearts for love, security, and a sense of peace in our hearts that the world can't take away. The glory of God is our hope of those things fulfilled. And the meaning of Emmanuel is that the glory has come and he's with us. And if you begin to feel overwhelmed, I want to remind you of this final thing. The meaning of Emmanuel is that Jesus is the victorious warrior. Verse 16 describes him holding the seven stars. Let's remember that this is speaking in many ways. While we interpret it literally, we must not interpret it literalistically. Because while he's holding the stars in his right hand, what you read in verse 17 is that he laid his right hand on John. Which would beg the question, if he laid his hand on John, did he drop the stars? Well, of course not. This is communicating a truth about God using imagery that strikes at our imagination and our hearts. Church, be encouraged. There are better days ahead because God is with us. Will you bow with me in prayer right now? Father, I don't understand exactly how all this comes together, but I believe it. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me in the times when I doubt, the times when I struggle, the times when I let the the worries of this world overcome me. And Lord, I pray that you'll remind me that you are with me. And Lord, I pray that you remind each of us that when you said you would be with us, you meant you would be with us. And that you would never leave us or forsake us. So Father, help us to dwell in that truth. Help us, O Lord, to cling to the truth that you are with us in Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. Stand with me and let's worship the Lord as we sing the glory of the salvation that is in him.